0: It's Thursday, October 20th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 419 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 55 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan.
1: My name is John.
0: My name's Chad. I'm Aisha. All righty. There you
1: go for the boring intro. Yeah, the funny one can be heard only by our Patreon. Yes,
0: patrons. and we do thank our Patreon backers because not only are you uh, helping us cover our server leasing, but also you are what is covering Aisha's presence as it will not on the show, but as a show editor. And today she is joining us as a host, so I'm very pleased to have her here. And a big thanks to those of you that are backing us out there. If you're interested in joining that, or in seeing the rewards, or even just, I don't know, whatever, looking at a when great... When
1: am I going to see some damn new chairs? <laughs>
0: uh, actually, I can give you a date on that oh, now. Oh my God. Yeah. Is I, it 2076? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? It's part of Obama's <laughs> Mars plan he just announced today. <laughs> I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buzz Aldrin's running around. Get your ass to some better chairs. Right. So uh,
2: thanks, Obama.
0: <laughs> so anyway, uh, so yeah, through the slash fear the uh, boot, all one word. Link that in the show notes. But all right, so here's what we're gonna talk about today. And actually, this is a topic to give credit where credit is due that I thought up completely all by myself, except for the part where actually I actually came up with the topic. So, Aisha, do you want to introduce it or do you want me to?
2: I guess you should introduce it.
0: Seeing as how you quote-unquote thought it up. Uh, Yeah, and I do agree with her assessment here, so I should introduce (laughs) this. So, all right, the topic is, broadly speaking, NPC AI. All right, now, let me explain what this means to a role-playing game, because it could mean, quite frankly, a whole bunch of different things. So, if you're playing a video game, you're used to the NPCs having an AI. They behave in depending on the game, either somewhat predictable ways or painfully predictable ways. But you know that this type of enemy will attack you, while this one won't. This one will persist, whereas this one won't. It might break partway through combat. There's a a way that these things are thinking. And if you look at a role-playing game, we have talked in the past about how a lot of players will not see any option to combat other than fighting to the point of their own death, that they don't take the option of surrender or run away. And sometimes that's because, quite frankly, the game masters don't present them with that option. You know, they they already know that the enemy's gonna run them into the ground and kill them all or whatever. And so the Game Master really hasn't given them that out or has communicated that that out is on the table. And I'll link to that episode in the show notes if you want to hear it. But in this episode, we want to tackle it from the opposite side, which is the Game Master creating parameters for the behavior of the NPCs. All right, so beyond just
1: their personality. Like, right goblins, if you beat up a bunch of goblins, they run away. It, this is beyond that. It could be something that simple. And perhaps the way that
0: enemy AI is most readily recognized in role-playing games is multiple editions of D&D had enemy morale. Mm-hmm. That once you hit certain trigger points where enough of them were killed or they had lost enough total hit dice, that they would have to make morale checks or flee.
3: Second editions was perfect because it was part of second edition.
0: (laughs) You know what? I'm not going to totally disagree with you on that. My one bone was second edition. Oh, here we go. Is Game Masters always started by level, not by XP value? Because the levels in 2nd edition weren't equal. Not this Game Master, bucko. All right. My thieves
3: level up twice as fast as my wizards. That's what I want to hear. Just like Gygax
0: intended. Nobody ever said to me, we're going to start at 10,000 XP. It was always, we're going to start at level 8. I'm like, you and I didn't know each other in the 90s. No, we did not. But God bless you, Johns. You're going to run a second edition game for me at some point. Oh, absolutely! And at this point, and it will be
1: outstanding. Yes. At this point, no one will actually hear the content of the episode. I know. Just <laughs> raging, <laughs> frothing. It, it is D and D. It is Stranger now, my-
3: Things has. Stoked the fire of second edition in the hearts See of gamers. All your notes and stuff, just throw that out. <laughs> I know. I mean, the forum the thread rest... is going to be nothing about D d
0: When is it ever? We've just guaranteed that. Yeah, though the forum thread will be like six pages of D d yeah. edition comparison and morale checks.
2: Probably a page of Stranger Things as well. Mm-hmm. I would be yeah, up that
0: for that.
3: True. I'd actually yeah, listen no to kidding. that. Unlike the thread D anD. d discussions, which I immediately minimize and forget about forever.
0: I do the old skim reading thing. Read the first sentence of each paragraph just mm-hmm. to make sure. There's nothing I need to know about. Did you know that Dan has not watched Stranger Things yet? I have not. Carl and I are going to. Well, I we watched Luke Cage, and Mm -hmm. she and I have both been really busy on opposite hours. I I am going to watch Stranger Things. All right, but in the AI, it could be taken at the level of simple die rolls. All right, but I, I do want to define that what we're talking about here is any set of parameters that you are placing on NPC behavior. Now. Let me give you a couple angles. is just deciding? Yes, except I'm going to put one other thing into this, which is the fact that where I am separating it from the typical operation of an NPC is these are not purely soft calls made on the fly by the game master. Mm. So you have the soft calls made on the fly of, okay, this one character is about to get killed, and that's not the type of game I'm running. So if I'm not John, we're going to switch targets.
3: That's cheating. Hey, I actually am provisionally going to give the full-throated chat answer to this question, which is, you're playing the NPC,
0: decide. But I still think that can require some NPC AI, and I'll explain how in a second here. No, it certainly does. There are always the soft calls of what the NPC is doing on the spot that's in the hands of the game master, and that's not what I'm talking about. We are talking about one of a couple things here, and I came up with a few approaches for this. One could be the mechanical approach that you have some test, whether it's a flow chart, whether it's die rolls, whether it's a combination of things. This is something else to go back to d 2nd edition that popped up in there uh, in the form of. The NPC reaction charts where mm-hmm. an NPC would approach you at a like a hostile disposition, but based on your charisma and certain things, you could shift that in other directions. So it could be something like that. It could be more specific die rolls of, okay, I've got a flow chart. And based on this, this, and this, I roll a d6. And if I roll one through four, they attack on a five, they run on a six, they parlay. You know, I don't, I don't know what Mm. you could. uh, There are games out there that have mechanics for this. And if you don't know of one you like, believe me, you can Google RPG, you know, NPC morale checks and such. You'll find plenty of people's blog entries and splat stuff on how to do it. But I think it could also be done in the form of predefined. RP truths. All right, let me give an example here that's going to surprise no one, which is one of my baselines for this is Battletech, because it is written into the setting, particularly of older Battletech, that everybody involved has rules that they're operating by, namely the Ares Convention, that forbids certain things, and you are dealing with scarce resources, and every side respects generally speaking, the desire of the other side to rescue their mechs, to rescue their pilots. And so you already have on the table that you can do these chivalric things like say, okay, we yield and quit the field and walk away. And the other side's not going to pursue it because the damage you do, even if they win, is not worth them having to repair.
3: Or the damage to their own Other operations, if they were to continue attacking after you'd popped a flare, would be not worth it at all. Exactly. In the vast majority of circumstances.
0: Exactly. You can get reputations around that. If you intentionally kill a pilot, you get negative reputations. There's all kinds of things that can happen to you, especially in the older versions of Battletech. So what I would do when I was running a Battletech game is when I was preparing a combat, I had a couple things already written out. So these were not decisions made on the fly. These were things that I had already decided ahead of time, which is, okay, when they hit the field, this is what the enemy wants to accomplish. This is their objective. They want to keep you guys off a target for a certain amount of time. Uh, They want to try and grind you down in hopes that you'll pop the flare. There was one battle where they made a Hail Mary on your drop ship to try and basically Frighten you into that wasn't
3: a hail mary. (laughs) Well, that was a five yard pass that they executed. Oops.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But the point being, though, that I decide ahead of time this is what they're going to do. But I also have in mind ahead of time what the general disposition of the pilots are and what their levels of loyalty and concern for resources are. So I already know that based on which Mech is standing and which Mechs have fallen. This pilot is more likely than the others to stick with the battle versus saying, hey, can we call it quits and I walk off? Or if they lose a certain percentage of their equipment, the commander, whether he's up or down, is going to say, okay, I can't dispossess all of my mech warriors, which means to make them lose their mechs. So we're going to quit the field. You win. Better luck next time for us. And I have these parameters already set up ahead of time. And their general strategy, for example, that they might put their heavy mechs in the middle and try to flank down the right side with their faster mechs or something like that. You know, I have all this written out ahead of time, so I'm not making these calls on the spot. Now, I might adjust them on the spot to fit within the general flow of RP, but I'm not totally inventing them on the spot. Another situation would be something like run. If you make a run against a corporation and you're dealing with corporate guards, and we assume that these are fairly typical low-level corporate guards. This isn't like the other elite kill squads or whatever. How many of these? Yeah, exactly. These are glorified and better trained mall cops. At what point, if there's six of these guys and two of them are dead and two of them are seriously injured, are the other two really going to stand there? And keep slugging it out when you guys are all standing and fine? I mean, really? But that's how a lot of games get run, is the NPCs, they don't behave in any way that is governed mechanically or by predetermined RP. It's just sort of run down the pipe of this is the stuff in your way and they'll fight till they die because who cares, they don't have names anyway.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with expectations. You know, it's the players generally want, when they win, they want to win, right? I mean, and killing one guard and running, injuring another guard and running the rest of them off is not as palpable of a win to most people. Obviously, you know, not everyone is alike and not every game is alike. But conversely, too, if the game master is throwing a group of guys at somebody and you have a healer, and the healer has no armor, and all he does is heal, is and he really can't defend himself, you have five skeleton ninja warriors push through everybody and kill the healer because the game master knows that he could do it in two turns, whereas it would take ten turns to deal with everyone else. The players will generally, again, you know, the players will start saying, well, you're just being unfair. Mm-hmm. You're just going after this guy because he's the easiest one to kill, and it's like the combat's become so mechanical the logic behind them i think unconsciously becomes mechanical people start making decisions not based on soft concepts like role playing and story and what's the motivation of these npcs what's the motivation of the character what would be right in the situation that part of their brain is already crunching numbers dice roll the algebraic formulas of to hit and hit points and damage and stuff and to stop and then consider more of the art behind it right. is, is, I think, a, a pretty severe shift for a lot of people. And I think that that's why you see a lot of people just go for that, you know, mechanical approach of, well, I... I'm going to be as efficient as we can and here's the guys and we're going to wipe out all the guys or you guys are going to lose and you're going to run away or it's or very
0: TPK you're or
1: right a TPK or whatever yeah. depending on
0: on the group. And yeah, exactly, and in many cases the measure of a well-balanced combat is one that stresses the party's resources without wiping them out.
1: Right, which is totally accurate to how all combat through human history has... Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And
3: it takes seven carefully coordinated rounds, and if the yeah. opponents actually come close to killing you, then God, the game master, starts rolling ones and saying, Oh guys, no it missed. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, right. exactly.
0: And this is something that I, I like within the Total War series, that I realize they're applying it to mass psychology on the, on the battlefield scale, mm-hmm. but I think it still does apply to the small scale of human psychology, which is if you play... People
1: will run away before they
0: die. Yes, exactly. If you play the Total War games, it is very possible to win a battle with very minimal casualties to either side because you can spook one side to the point that they are now sufficiently afraid or sufficiently convinced they're going to lose that they will quit the field, even if, in truth, if they had just Put themselves through the meat grinder, they might have won. Right. But that's not how human psychology works. And it does seem and their like
1: fear is infectious. Yes. Too. And you're winning the battle, but you see the group to your right crumble and run away. You're seeing your friends die, you're seeing them get run down, you're seeing them run, yeah. drop their weapons yeah. and shields and run away screaming in horror. Well, that's affecting you.
0: Right. And that's if I was to work out some kind of a chart by which I was to do this sort of thing certainly part of that chart and I'd want it to be a quick chart, but the way I kind of viewed this, if I was to do this, so maybe I will, I guess it depends on how much time I have between now and when the episode releases. Cause Carl and I are closing on a house. There's a bunch of other stuff going on. So I may not have the time, but if I do congrats on that, by the way, Oh, uh, you're, thank you very much. Thank
1: you for moving significantly
3: closer to
0: both of us. Uh, I was
3: congratulating Chad and myself. No, (laughs) no, 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 I was congratulating you. But But, for the (laughs) listeners in in, uh, the internet, Dan's moving way closer to everybody else. So we're all quite happy.
1: The difference is, from my house to his house is 45 minutes with no traffic and hitting all the green lights. Where he's moving now will be 20 minutes in traffic.
3: Yes. Mine will probably... My drive will be... 20 to 25 at a clear shot now probably 10 at a clear shot once you move
0: yeah
2: my drive is way too long to get to your house Uh, (laughs) Yes, your drive is 30
0: hours yeah because at one point when i was thinking about going up to visit tax i was looking at i was looking at plane costs versus car costs and uh Yeah, it's about, it's a 30-hour drive. The Pacific Northwest
3: is farther away from everything than you think it is. Including, like, other
2: things that are out west. But yeah, it's funny that you should mention games like Total War, Dan, because the system I developed and, I don't know, calling it a system might be a little bit uh, pretentious.
1: It's like a piece of paper. You're on Fear the Boot now. Please. Be no. as pretentious yeah. as you possibly can. That's okay. kind of our the thing.
2: refined system that I painstakingly developed over fourteen years of role playing experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Excellent. Is it award winning? You could say it yes.
2: is it is multiple award winning.
1: And it's yeah, on
0: paper, written with a pen, just like all of Da Vinci's diagrams were. That's right. With we a point
2: out, pen. right? Is it a copper bestseller on Drive through RPG? <laughs> you can say it is. I know, but I engraved it on the copper plate. Oh that works. Excellent. There you go. Excellent. Anyway, so this was inspired when I was GMing a lot of Shadowrun, and at the same time, I was playing a lot of ARMA, which is Mm -hmm. Military Simulator, and I was playing a lot of XCOM. Excellent. There is a game with morale saves all day. So the reason I did this, because I was tired of my enemies just not really giving a shit, even the ones that were high on drugs. So it's really about two things. It's about enemy unit tactics, and it's about enemy panic and the bulk of it is in panic the important part about this is when to apply it so when grognak the giant troll literally squashes someone's head like a melon that's a fair call, but a panic check
3: yeah you can I- definitely trigger it when one terrible thing happens
0: yeah and that's kind of what i was thinking if, if i was to put a system together and the one that i'm imagining is already like any gold winning <laughs> you know i i just it just hasn't happened yet right. but it's going to happen uh the smithsonian has already asked for a copy of they, it they
3: have the pedestal waiting
0: yes that. yes and so uh
3: our voter campaign on uh the ennies is already firing up yes i called a server farm in vietnam <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and, <laughs> and
0: tech's got the microsoft ones in the philippines or wherever it is and whatever they were accusing us of anyway (laughs) the point being that the one that i had was was similar in that regard in that i wanted there to be before you got to the what is the save or is the save even necessary i wanted to have something to evaluate the situation so for example i mean we're not even going to make this check unless something's happened have you presented an overwhelming force have you scared them Did somebody important just very suddenly die? Did someone near them just very spectacularly die? Uh, You know, is there something you're doing that would be intimidating to them? And I realize you don't want to get too far down into the weeds on this because, I mean, unless that's really what the game's about, then you really don't want something. I mean, the flowchart I'm imagining is going to have like just a handful of axes and then roll this die at this target to see what happens. I don't want something where it's like this huge, what they call DFD, a data flow diagram.
2: Yeah, you don't want that.
0: Yeah, if you don't wear technology, you've never seen one of DFD. It's basically circles and boxes and all this stuff. And there are hundreds of them and there are thousands of connecting arrows and it's a big mess. And you don't want that. You want something that you can look at, glance at and be ready to roll on in 15, 20 seconds. But nonetheless, it gives you some way of determining what's going to happen. And I sh- my system, if I if when I put this together, if I just get the Smithsonian off my jock <laughs> long enough to finish it, then one of the things I want to have in there, just like you're describing, is there are certain things that trigger it even being used. That there are things that kick it off and then factors that exacerbate it. That if we assume that people came onto the field, looked at each other, and understanding that at least decided to initiate combat, then I have to presuppose they at least think either they're going to win or they have something worth dying for.
2: And I mean, Shadowrun is a setting where, depending on how you interpret it, It can be more or less dark, but it's always some degree of dark. I mean, people die in the streets every day. You're usually fighting gangers or corporate security. It's not just going to happen just because someone fell over with a plug in their chest. So, like, for instance, the list I have here on this, you know, crumbled up piece of paper is uh, taking severe losses, messy deaths, brutal weapons, flamethrowers, or primal fears. That last one came in handy.
1: Flamethrowers are a good one for morale shocks. I mean, you you look at like the history. Yeah, um, you know, World War II is where they were used extensively. Flamethrowers didn't really kill a lot of people, and in fact, the user, the operator of the device,
0: sometimes in great danger. Yeah, it
1: was it was in very very great danger just by operating it. But good lord, the panic, the fear of it, because it's not just spewing flame; it's spraying a chemical yeah. that is on fire that sticks to you. It's Napalm, essentially, and yeah, the fear of it, especially when you're in like a bunker, yeah, and you're in this enclosed space, and they shoot the flames into the bunker, you have nowhere to go. Yeah, and
0: I, I think I would, I agree with your list, and I like your list. I think the one thing that I might broaden it to is to say any weapon that is likely to have a uniquely horrifying presence, and that could be a flamethrower that could be well. that's
2: like brutal weapons it's important to notice the psychology of human fear is like we're not afraid of bullets we're afraid of the loud noise bullets make and we're afraid of the blood that they cause to you know spew out of people but we're not really like our deep reptile hind brain can't really conceive of a bullet fire though yeah it knows what fire is yeah, and a good it, point. it is yeah. it is not happy
1: it's like no one is afraid of heights no one is afraid of heights. They're afraid of falling and the sudden stop at the end.
0: Well, yeah, yeah but we free associate the height yeah. with the falling, which is why some people are so sufficiently afraid of heights. They cannot even be in an enclosed structure up right. high. That even like looking out the window of a really tall office building, or I guess to draw a local mm-hmm. one, the Gateway Arch. Yeah. You know, they can't handle looking down all those hundreds of feet. Because of the the prospect of, of yeah. just what to makes them think about, right? What it, it triggers.
1: Which I don't think is an irrational fear.
0: <laughs> no, I perfectly don't. perfectly right. I think fear. it is.
3: It's the call of the void. They right. they say that some people that are afraid of heights are afraid because they feel compelled to jump mm. whenever they see a high thing. Wow. I don't really understand that, yeah, but I've no talked way. to a couple people independently of each other that said, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I'm afraid of heights. I see a height. I, I just feel like I have to jump off it. And mm.
2: obviously they don't, but.
3: That's pretty scary. I think <laughs> yeah. if I felt that, I would be scared of heights oh, too. Yeah.
2: yeah. There's Ground one of those forward. dedicated French terms for that somewhere. Oh,
0: I'm, I'm sure. sure. Or German. Yeah. It's, it's either 19 yeah, syllables long. In German, German. German or Greek or something like that.
2: So we're talking about
1: fear a lot, morale, but. And the boot. And AI, it seems to me that programming an NPC to do things outside of just the game master making a decision. Is more than just morale. No, I agree.
0: And that's why I threw in the example of Battletech. Because in Battletech, there are other options. Mm -hmm. You know, that the the artificial intelligence there... Now, from a role-playing standpoint... Let's take this out of combat. Let's talk role-playing. From a pure role-playing standpoint... I know going into it... What the non-player characters really want. Okay, for example... Last game of Battletech that I ran... Was for John and that online group. Mm -hmm. And in that game... Their first mission, they went up against a mercenary group and kind of did some tit-for-tat fighting, and you guys had the upper hand. Now, there still could have been this ongoing war of attrition between the two sides, but you guys had definitely landed the first hard punch of the fight.
3: I mean, you can always boxcar 777 in Battletech. No one can ever truly safely be shot at, but but we were winning.
0: Right, you were winning. But I knew that the guy that they were up against was another mercenary. And really what he was looking for was financial stability and some degree of success. He doesn't have his eye on being the biggest guy in the galaxy. He just wants to do well, make a name for himself. He is happy retiring as a B or C level mercenary, right? You know, he, he's that. He, that's where his mind's at. And so as the battle went on, there was enough money and enough resources in play and enough high-end players, I don't mean like players and people around the table, I mean NPCs and such that were on the sidelines, that you guys basically just talked about a contract. And they ended up joining you.
3: Yeah, they, large swaths of them did. I yeah, don't think they all did. But,
0: the, but yeah, most of them, up to and including their commanding officer, because I already knew what this guy's motivation was. He was loyal to the contract, but only to its letter because he didn't want to be found in default of the contract but at the same time he really doesn't want to go bankrupt. Well, let me ask you this. Chasing again. the contract.
1: How is programming an artificial intelligence sort of set of logical choices different from n- the game master knowing the character of their npcs and just playing them
2: it's improbability probability and taking the decision out of your hands when you're shooting at something in a video game whether it panics or not is going to be a dice roll handled in the black and that's the whole point with my system as well you're rolling a dive and it's and if any of the dice are six they panic and then they shoot their friends because they moved in a dark room that sort of thing if you're just deciding that and you do it, it's going to feel a little bit contrived? I, I think
0: where I would draw the line, Chad, is I would agree that what Aisha's describing is plainly to one side of this. That is definitely what I would call artificial intelligence. One of the things that human intelligence has that is a little bit harder or a lot harder to reproduce in computers is we have soft and fuzzy thinking. You know, we think intuitively... We make connections that aren't necessarily apparent. We make decisions that are not necessarily quantifiable. Uh, One of the oldest metaphors of fuzzy logic is that the loss of which hair is a person balding. Hmm. And obviously that's really hard to quantify. And so we make these quality decisions. And so what I think I would say is on the far extreme, you have the game master making decisions that are only barely in the most apologetic sense in character decisions. That, yeah, the character could conceivably be seen to do this, but mostly you're just doing what you feel is best for the happiness of the players, best for balance of the encounter, whatever. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of engineering an end versus allowing that character which may have been determined, including its goals, their flight parameters, their fight parameters, whatever, even if they're in soft terms. You know, even if it's not in, well, at the loss of this point of armor, they flee. It's more like if they feel they're losing, then they're going to try to parlay. If the group has made it clear they won't accept parlay, then they will attempt to flee. You know, so it might be something more like that, but there's this kind of gray area in the middle where, yes, the game master is still making decisions, but the game master's making decisions based on parameters that were designed prior to the moment of execution.
1: So I I get what you're saying, and and i'll agree you could nitpick this sure to oh, hell
0: yeah
2: you and could. it's also a thing of like you want an encounter that stresses the players but right. if they feel like every encounter is only going to stress them it's not an issue yeah they and introducing a level of like visible random chance where you roll and you say well this that guy just panicked you roll again that guy didn't and then he shot you in the face it's a way of taking the decision actively out of the game master's hands makes for a slightly more satisfying fight because you know it wasn't handed to you on a silver platter let me
0: give you an example the movie deadpool Mm -hmm. very minor (laughs) very very minor spoiler here okay so very minor spoiler there is a point in deadpool where he is fighting a bunch of nameless goons and when he gets to one guy the guy like i i don't remember the scene exactly he's wearing like a ski mask or something Mm -hmm. like that and he like takes off he's like dude I know you. Yeah. It's at the end. Yeah. It's yeah. at the end and they don't fight each other. Right. Right. It's in, I've seen this in a couple of films now where one of the bad guys runs into the good guy. It's like, I know you, I like you. Yeah. Your reputation precedes you. Yeah. I, this is probably best seen in, in some of the incarnations of Superman where he runs into a group of bad guys and he just kind of gives them this. I am disappoint sort of look. Uh, uh-huh. And they just put down their guns and walk away. Not because they think he's gonna kick his ass, which he would, yeah, if he had to. But, but just know the outcome. And- but well, but even that aside, it's they're shamed by him. Yeah. Because it's like killing someone in front of grandma you know it, 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 that's kind of what it's like it's, they know that superman is just such this embodiment of good and purity and this is a guy who will fight doomsday but will also take time out of his day to get a kitten out of the tree right. or to talk some girl in one of the more famous uh, i think this was from all-star superman to talk some girl out of committing suicide and i mean even if you have the way of winning right even if you believe in what you're doing Do you really want to fight this guy? I mean, someone who represents this much good.
2: There's this dangerous insult on the internet going around these days. It's like, you are not being the type of person Mr. Rogers knew you could be. I've seen seen that image. It's good. But yeah, to your prior
3: point, Aisha, I I think using this as a method of tying your own hands and making it visibly random, rolling a d20 out in the open or a d6 or what have you and being like, well, players, there you go. I've never done that, but that's the strongest piece of the sale that I've heard so far from you and Dan uh, for making it mechanical and probabilistic rather than just dictating what the NPCs do because they're
2: your damn NPCs. And another thing is it's so much faster. I roll 2d6. I roll 3d6. Are any of them sixes? No, move on. If I don't do this, I will spend five minutes and, like, not pay attention to what the players are doing because I'm obsessing over, man, is that going to be brutal enough? Is that brutal Mm. enough? Would they panic from that?
3: What I usually obsess over and I don't obsess over and I decided instantly is, is this combat now a foregone conclusion? Am I really going to serve myself and my players by having three more rounds of combat that take ten minutes each? Because there's four kobolds left. When there's
2: no tension whatsoever.
3: It's the old Command
0: and Conquer thing. Of you've won, their base is destroyed, they've got one soldier right, running right, around right. the map, and right. you have to find
3: it. Right, and I mean, novices play chess until checkmate pros play until they can see with their pro eyes that the game is decided and then one of the other resigns
2: almost every time. A good example of this was um like especially where this comes in handy is deciding fights early or in unexpected ways. It's not just the thing of okay your enemies all panicked because you squirted one of them in the eyes with acid and his face melted off. It's also you're in a dark room and through a hilarious sequence of panic checks thanks to that first grenade, they wound up shooting each other because all they had were little dim flashlights. And you can't just tell that story. It has to be a result of the dice.
3: Yeah, I agree. It, it maintains credibility. And I'm, I'm a long-standing thumper of using that in combat, using open rolls and, and just taking it out of your own hands so you can say, well, there you go, players. You won the fight in one round, and I didn't give it to you. It happened. Or conversely, and perhaps more infamously, Well, sucks, dude, but you have to re-roll because I just rolled four 20s in a row and they all had max damage.
0: You know, a game that really made me have to think about this hardcore was Star Trek. And the reason Star Trek did is because there are situations where weapons do damage. More often than not, they don't. It's...
3: Fast as Star Trek?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. You ain't there. You know, if a disruptor or phaser hits you...
3: Oh, right, 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 right. They don't not do damage, they just disintegrate. Yeah, you're gone. There's no role to be I
0: mean, it's not like, well, I can beat up on you for a few rounds with a Class C disruptor. Right, no. No, it's... You fall back on the console, glow orange, and then are gone. Mm -hmm. Combat suddenly became a lot more serious. And I think this, in a way, is helpful. If you look at generally how it's told. Star Trek is generally told as... You know, kind of the thinking man sci fi. I've always described it as a science fiction mystery because it's got science fiction elements to it, but always the big thing is what's going on here? Why is this happening? And then I know there's social elements to it as well or social morals to it, but a lot of it's mystery. If you know, why is we found this ship and it's distress signals on and the crew's completely gone? Where did they go? What took them? You know, what keeps us from disappearing?
2: Star Trek has never been about the fighting.
0: No, but I think one of the things that that helps is because combat is so absolute, mm-hmm. you really have to think about what is it these parties are really after. Because if you take that from a character perspective on even the bad guys, you know, there was one plot where they beamed down to a colony that was in revolt over a bunch of things. And when a starship shows up and they've got officers with phasers and security guards with phasers and the colonists did have some weapons they had stolen as well. Some black markets, but these are all, I mean, touch of death weapons. And I really had to think through when the captain of the ship walks forward and says, let's talk this out. I mean, you've got to be pretty insane or pretty driven to not at least consider that option nice. if you're on the colonist side, you know, if you're on the negotiating side. The, the one encounter but that...
1: What if you have your program AI thing sure. and you roll it up?
0: Well, I, I mean, let's look you at the real up. world. Everyone starts pulling triggers. People are willing to die for sometimes... No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, people are willing to die sometimes for really stupid reasons or take lethal threat, you know, or to put themselves in the danger of death. For sometimes really noble, sometimes really intelligent, and other times really ignoble and really stupid reasons.
2: And another thing this can tie back into, which is something that we discussed a few episodes back, is um accidental discharge. It's like a tire blowing out. It, it doesn't happen like for a reason, except that someone is nervous. But people touching their triggers, painfully common.
0: Real example from history, to this day, they don't know if the first shot of the Revolutionary War was intentional or not. Yeah. there is some evidence it wasn't that actually both the British and the Americans neither side wanted the war and, and it, it
2: may have it been doesn't an accidental have to shot hit anyone it can just be a shot noise and then everyone tenses up and everyone thinks that the other side just fired a shot and then everybody dies
3: you can have entire skirmishes that are ultimately disavowed that happens all the time historically not only one shot but a battle along a boundary or whatever that, that both governments turn around and either say that never happened or, um, that happened, but neither of us intended it as an act of hostilities. It was a mistake by field commanders. So we're just going to pretend that it didn't exist, That that has happened historically countless yeah, times
1: are bad. Mm-hmm. So on the whole MPC AI thing, my take on it is as a game master, you know, the, the players play their characters. Their characters have motivations. Sure. Their characters have that. There might be a morale check or will save sure. tucked somewhere in some rule system for that. That's fine. But for the most part, they have control of their characters and they play their characters based on their motivation, their background, their history, what's going on in the moment. And also what they want to see out of their character what they want to, what they want their character to do that may not fully gel with the in-characterness of it they want they're creating story they're creating story for their character but they're blending all of these things together and i find it the same thing is true for a game master a game master should understand the the npcs and their motivations and their histories and their background and it is a character that they are playing, but they also have this greater story that they're telling as well. And the story beyond A happens and B happens and C happens the end, everyone lives happily ever after. It's also about setting a mood and a tone, exploring a theme and getting good scenes out and building that tension or that mystery or that, that sort of scene. And I think that as a game master, I want my foot on that gas. I want to be able to control it and back it off. That does not mean that I want the NPCs to do a full court press every time until they are chewed up by the by the players, right. or that I want to kill their characters. But I want to be able to control that scene. And part of that is me being able to say OK, the NPCs run away or they do this or they say this or this this triggers or they're going for this objective or whatever instead of just because when I play role playing games that have combat and systems and and crunch and all that sort of stuff, I really don't like shin kicking. I, r- I really don't like an NPC going up to a PC and then they just kick each other's shins as they whittle down each other's hit points. Yeah, until that's the one most runs... boring thing in the world. Right. It, it's just awful. But you can have systems like that and you can play those kind of games and make them really interesting. You make them really interesting by having all of this history and understanding of characters and setting the mood and the tone and all that sort of stuff. And while I get it that, you know, a random die roll makes for an interesting and unexpected thing and the unexpected makes for a good story, that part of it I want to control because I want to control the scene. But also I'm playing the character. I am playing the character of the NPC just exactly like the players are playing their characters and it would be unacceptable for them to have to roll on a chart to see if they get angry, like in that one game that we played, or to see if they would run away or to see if they would do this or that. Again, caveat of the will save or morale check every now and again.
2: I do have to counter you here because like, the biggest thing with this and... The reason I was okay with using it in the first place was um, that the initial check, the whether or not the check is made, is always up to the GM. There's no mechanism for triggering it, only some suggested options. Right. So, like, if you don't want to give up control to the dice, then you just don't. Mm-hmm. I, Chad, you know, I think
0: I have a something I want to add to what you just said in sort of agreement, I guess. But before I get to that, One of the comments I want to go back to is is something that I have held as long as we have done this show, which is dice are the nth player. That however many people you have at the table, dice represent the one element that nobody controls. As a game master, when I run a game, I don't want the game master to be just completely out of control you know, the, the whole game is just running off the tracks and nobody has any idea w- where this is headed and it's just total chaos. Okay, some people really like that. That's not my style. But I do like the idea that the dice as that end player represents something about even my own NPCs that I can't predict and can't control. Right. That things are going to happen that I did not see coming. Now, the other thing, now, I, I don't think you're wrong, Right. I think these I don't are, either. <laughs> I know. But these <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> but these are these are simply, you know, styles, tools, sure. choices, right? But the one thing that I think I would add to something you just said is you talked about the same way that the player plays their a character. Mm-hmm. I, as the game master, want to play the NPCs. I think the one thing that I would add to that is if you're going to go that route, there is one obvious question it raises that I'm going to offer a bit of advice to answer, which is when you are dealing with that many NPCs, do you really have a name and a personality for every goon in every gang, blah, blah, blah. Now, obviously the major ones do, but what I was going to recommend is if your game has that or the players unexpectedly jump a group, you didn't even expect them to fight, that I think you can give a group personality. You can give them a... Gestalt. Mm -hmm. You can look at that group and say, well, I don't know individually what's motivating them, but I know as a group, this is what they want. This is how hard they'll fight. This is how cowardly they are. This is how much they believe in their cause. These are the types of strategies they're going to use, you know, exactly how they're going to go about this whole thing in terms of the details of how they're going to execute it and what their breaking points are and whatever. These are things that I may not understand about the individuals, but I understand about the group as a whole. And that's how I'm, you know making my calls as it goes
1: right. And I think that when a game master plays groups of individuals like that, to me that that's like playing a character. Sure, it's just a character that has a lot. Uh,
0: there of- was a game that I was running. It was a d and game where
1: there was a Group? The situation is the character that you play too. Yes, you know, yeah, not to get bit. too philosophical about it, but like you said, if you have a group of gangbangers, you don't know their names; they're low-level guys, and the the party tripped over them. They went down the wrong alleyway, and there they are. That situation is what the game master is playing, and not to say that I don't think that there should be no dice rolls or anything like that. It's I want to make those decisions if they run away, if they talk. I mean, we couch a lot of this in fighting and what the the NPCs will do when engaged in
0: combat. Yes, and I think it doesn't have to be purely that because let's go back to the Star Trek example. It was negotiation, right? The colonists had certain demands. What they wanted—I don't remember the details. And of course, what they wanted was not easily achieved. It required concessions that the party may not have been in a position to make. And so there was some difficulty too. It was always be a boring game, but nonetheless, it was resolved as best as I recall without a shot being fired. At least, if there was shooting, it might have been like one guy got stunned. It was, it was not not right. serious bloodshed. Uh, there was another combat. We were it was the same Star Trek campaign. But we advanced it by several years, and it actually picked up like within the next generation time frame. And Doug was the captain of the first ship, Carlos was the captain of the second ship. and she was playing a Klingon. So she's playing like a wharf type character who was the captain of the ship. And her character, for whatever reason, just the way she'd stand herself out, for Klingon, was not all that physically impressive. And so there was a more regular Klingon from the Klingon Empire who was there and basically, you know, how Klingons get, got into a chest-pounding match with her. And she knew this guy was not going to back down, was not going to respect her unless she proved herself. And so she stood up and the other guy stood up and she beat the crap out of him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And quite frankly, dice are the nth player. See, look at it. The stats. She never should have won that fight, but she just aced everything. And I couldn't roll for crap. I was rolling like Wayne and she just curb stomped this guy.
1: That's where the awesomeness of random factors come in to me. It's Carla is playing her character and she knows it. You are playing both the Klingon and the overall situation and maybe your intention was to stomp her a little bit, so that her allies—I'm just making this up by right, the way—so right. her allies would have to come over, and you know, together the team can deal with the situation. And it's team, like you know, whatever. But then you go to the dice, and then you roll it out, and it's like this great story, right? Awesome, yeah. Story. And it could have been handled in role play. It, it's difficult because yeah. the Klingon guy's a
0: jackass, mm-hmm. but it could have been handled through role play. Uh, she could have found some way to embarrass him, yeah. or to talk him down, or to boast about certain successes. At which point, he just laughs and they get drunk <laughs> together or something. Uh, she chose to take it to combat, but even still, it was it was more RP combat. And what I mean by that yeah. is it was high on description, light on dice. What dice were rolled? She aced, he botched. Uh, but she had a phaser, he had a disruptor. That never came into the equation. It was <laughs> that's not what it was about right and just as she had her officers with her this klingon had his entourage with yeah. him you know he had his his trusted inner circle with him but it was it was never about that
1: yeah. the, neither side wanted to exterminate the other or be exterminated because you understood the the practical situation but it was also a situation that came together outside of the combat yes so there was a whole lot of role play and situation and game time that led up to this sure and after it was over, she didn't loot his body right uh, he, he just even though he had like
0: plus two boots <laughs> all, all yeah you know. all
3: over the Federation plus two boots <laughs> but
0: no, I mean it, it was that's not it wasn't that type of combat. Klingon on captain's drop my shoulders we got to farm this guy it, it was it yeah. was a fight of domination Coach right MMO. and mm-hmm. so he got up you know bloody nose bloody whatever. Mm-hmm. But he went and sat back in his chair and they got back down to business.
1: Yeah. Like Klingons do.
0: Like Klingons do. I mean, yeah, he he was all had his undies in a bunch Mm -hmm. and his ego was hurt more than his body. But nonetheless, he got up, went back to his chair and they continued negotiations like reasonable individuals Mm -hmm. should. Yeah, it it was it was a very. But the point is that I came into that knowing this is what the Klingon wants. He's going to push her. Because he has to. Yeah. Because that's their psychology. He's not going to respect her until he's pushed her and she has pushed back. Mm -hmm. Now, she could push back verbally. She could push back physically. There's any number of things she could do, but she's going to have to push back. And I knew also that despite the fact that he was going to demand that she prove herself worthy of respect, he was not looking for a battle of extermination, right? You know, he was not looking to start swapping torpedoes <laughs> between the ships. He was not looking to end up with a conference room full of dead people. Mm. You know, I, I had these parameters, and that's the AI I'm talking about coming in with. Yeah. There were no die rolls on the spot to dis- decide. Well, he's going to attack, or he's going to coward, chicken out, run. Sure. You know, th- there was no dice rolls like that. But there were still these parameters in my head that were defining what he was and was not willing to do
1: there were also parameters that were defining what you dan the game master not you dan the klingon were gonna do of well nobody is gonna pull out a gun nobody's gonna blast a hole in the side of the ship nobody's gonna die here this is a chest thumping competition. Yes. It, it is happening because of these reasons that led up to it in the story.
2: This reminds me a lot of something else that I've said before as a GM. I don't think I've ever said it here, but to go maximum fear the boot pretentiousness. <laughs> Excellent. Every game is a work of art, and an artist must use the right tool for the right job. I, I don't know how I could be more pretentious. And that than tool
3: that. is Thacko.
2: <laughs> Dan smiled. <laughs> no, yes. It.
0: That tool is anything found in second edition.
3: <laughs> that tool is Ben Bars Lift Gates. Yes. That tool is a halfling fighter who doesn't get to roll exceptional strength because he's a halfling.
0: And that tool is watching all of your compatriots cap out at a level shine. Yes. <laughs>
3: that tool is laughing at them from the commanding heights of being a half I, elf bard. I freaking
0: <laughs> hated that because. I love it. It's like, no, no, no. What I mean I hated was. It's like, well, I'm going to play the Elf, which was not a zero sum game. Humans have no benefits in second edition, right? All the other races had, ben- right. had bonuses.
3: Except that they can be any level of any class. Bingo. Until but, every GM in the world waives those rules. But no GM in the Yeah, exactly. Dude, I'm, you've been, you're once bitten, twice shot. I know. You've never run the no, glory I'm, of two weeks. I many times. Oh, okay. Well,
0: whatever. Dude, I am like full cannibal feast, center of the walking dead, sort of bitten shy because I never once got to a level where it's like okay elf who's had all these bonuses throughout the whole game you don't advance anymore Dan does and
3: I have never actually gotten that high because I, I don't ever run high level games yeah but it's always part of the rules it's always part of the rules that the cap I, exists.
0: John I appreciate that you get it because they were a written balancer that nobody used yes and or at least nobody I, I game am. with. I use. am
3: all about Zeb Cook in his rant about how if there was no cap, humans would be a slave race at best. Because all the other races are better and they live for nine times as long. And
0: that's why his robots got put into a death march outside of his office.
3: What? You were
0: there for this story. I don't remember who you are talking to. It was somebody who worked at the old D&D. Was talking about taking Zeb Cook. He apparently had all these robots oh, yeah, in his yeah, office. Oh yeah, yeah, And when we he we have
3: was, to get Zeb Cook on the
0: show. When he was gone, they would prank him, and how they would prank him is he apparently had a lot of these robots. Like it wasn't like five; it was like dozens. <laughs> and they would like put them in like conga lines, going like out of his office and down the hall and into the bathroom. And
3: huh. It, it, I have mutual Facebook friends with Zeb Cook.
0: Yeah. So the,
3: the wheels are turning.
0: Zeb Cook emailed me and then when went back. Did he to me. seriously? Yes, and then I think it was Zeb Cook. Somebody did, I don't remember. Somebody who's above it me. it Zeb Cook saying that he was a Nigerian prince? Yes. It was Zeb Cook saying that he has a fortune in D&D money, <laughs> but he just needs a few hundred dollars to grease the wheels. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yes.
3: gladly Zeb Cook. You can have all the electrum pieces left over from second edition <laughs> when they were all destroyed.
0: <laughs> all right. So once again, a uh, big thanks to all of you guys that are backing us on the Patreon, helping us uh,
1: get these mythical chairs. These chairs are like unicorns. Yes,
0: yeah. well, they're they're gonna, that's going to be part of the new house. So, oh, okay. These chairs are not getting moved to the new house. Neither is this desk. Yeah, can we I
1: cannot uh, wait till. Can we do house? like an office space thing on the chairs? Like take them out to a field and. And, and beat them to death yeah we
2: just could, take them out to a golf course
1: oh yeah is. we, we yeah. could take them out to
0: radensfelder whatever it's called the the shooting range the, oh yeah, yeah the the the, the, the sinkhole yeah. yeah and just shoot them up
3: there's a little too much metal on these things no dude to... an AK
0: would punch right through those i'm sure it would but so i'll
3: i'll, I'll stick to the bats
0: john look the purpose of guns is to use them irresponsibly.
3: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyways, I, all right. As for the rest of you guys, let's get thank you for your support on Patreon, helping us cover the cost of the server, the editor, Aisha, who we're very much glad to have on the team, and then also these incoming chairs. As for everyone listening to this show, thank you guys very much. I hope you have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.